0: So if you're brand new, let me introduce you to our church. Uh, we believe three things, and we see this in the movement of Scripture, that first, that you're welcome to our church. There's no perfect people allowed here. Um, we all messed that up when we walked into the door. And so, but when we get to know Jesus, we've experienced incredible hope as we meet with him in person. And it's a hope. This for our present tense brokenness and it's a hope that also heals us so that we're not stuck there forever So it's a hope beyond our brokenness. Does that make sense? When you connect with Jesus when you talk with him when you listen to him when you do work with him When you trust him he changes your heart He renews your spirit. He helps you start living not from that old identity of you trying to save yourself, but he helps you start living from this brand new identity that I am God's beloved, chosen, worthy, redeemed, forgiven child. Amen? Amen. The second thing that we experience is that that living from that place is this word called faith. It also can be translated as trust. I like that translation because trust is a relationship word. Faith is a relationship word. And what trust looks like in a relationship is I, I begin to put weight on our relationship. I make decisions each and every day to say, God, I'm going to trust that what you're saying to me is true and therefore I'm going to follow directions. I'm going to, you know, you know how you trust your brakes in your car? How how do you do that? You step on them. Trusting Jesus is putting weight on him. Acting in the truth that his promises and faithfulness to you are real. Isn't that awesome? That's trust. It's an it's a wonderful adventure. It's also it's scary but like scary on a good roller coaster is scary, right? Lastly, we believe that God invites you right now to bring restoration to this community. God is not waiting for you to be perfect, right? In, anybody figured that out yet? Right, God's not waiting for you to be perfect. God, God's not waiting for you to be enough. God wants to use you right now in the middle of your great story. And last week we heard about how, how summer... Gave away the change for a dollar bucket and here she's terrified about talking with people and and yet she's she's giving away that money and in the place of her great need and her great anxiety God was working. How amazing is that right? That's what God uses us. He uses us at the intersection of our great need and his great intervention in our life. And so we get to minister from that place or help from that place. You will always have eyes to see people who have struggled with the same thing that you're struggling with. Does that make sense? God wants to use you to be a, 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 a source of encouragement and joy and hope to them. So each one of these truths, trust in our risen Savior, hope beyond our brokenness, restoration of community comes with a decision. And that decision is this. Let's read this together. A disciple is one who walks intentionally with God, choosing to be changed by Jesus, choosing to seek Jesus first, and choosing to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Amen? So, let me catch you up if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks. We've been in the Gospel of John. We're going to preach through the entire Gospel of John, um, and we'll end in 2025. We're really excited about that. Um, so, let me catch you up on the last couple of weeks. First of all, um, chapter one, we learned that, read with me, Jesus is the word God in the flesh, right? He's, he's moved into our neighborhood, right? Chapter two, there's two stories there. One is that Jesus turns water into wine, which is they're in, in a wedding and everything, you run out of wine in a wedding, that's not a good thing. So grace is given when life falls apart. Chapter 2, then verse 117, chapter 1, verse 17 says that the, the Moses gave the law, grace and truth are given through Jesus Christ. So the, chapter 2 is about grace, and then chapter 2 is also about truth. Jesus shows up to Jerusalem at the Passover, and there he sees all of the animals and the money changers, and he makes a whip, and he drives them all out of the temple. And and this is what we learn. Read this with me. Truth demands we exchange our religion for a relationship of prayer and worship. God is not going to put up with you trying to reduce your relationship with God to give me stuff and I'll obey. He wants you to speak to him, to listen to him, to trust him. Yes, he's going to provide for your life. But it's within the context of this relationship. Amen? Amen. Next slide. Chapter 3, Nicodemus shows up. He's a senator and a megachurch pastor. And he speaks to Jesus. And Jesus teaches him, read this with me, that new life is only from God... Not what we can do. Nicodemus was consumed. How can this be? How can this be? How can, how can this be? How can, how can you be born again? And Jesus says, this is from God. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And you're not in charge of the Holy Spirit. It's like trying to be in charge of the wind. And then last week, Pastor Paul preached a wonderful message about the woman in the well. And about how only Jesus satisfies. What well do you keep on drawing from to find satisfaction in your life? And Jesus is telling this woman, look, I'm, I'm the living water. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. And then today, in the latter half of chapter 4, we're going to read about the official son. And this chapter is about what does trusting Jesus actually look like? So that's where we're going today. Okay, can we, can we pray? Lord, protect us. We bind up everything in silence, everything opposed to Jesus that would be trying to interfere with this time in your precious name, Lord Jesus. We pray your protection, Lord. Help us minister to our spirit. Speak to us. We give you permission to do work in our spirit, in our soul. Lord, help. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's beloved children said, I'm going to read this for you. Faith or trust, begins with learning about Jesus. But learning about Jesus is just the beginning. Faith, or trust, in Jesus requires that you meet Jesus, who is alive and breathing and present right now through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Can you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place? Always, every Sunday. The life of faith is the invitation to meet with Jesus, and then to follow his directions, which always leads to your joy and hope. So what does meeting Jesus look like in your day-to-day life? Well, the past two weeks have been an adventure for me in meeting Jesus in my day-to-day life. Daniel, who goes to our church, he's not here this morning, but um, he's a mutual friend of John Holcomb and I. Wave your hand, John. John was our Former custodian now runs Tree of Life Landscaping Service, and he can be called to help. Uh, so John and I were uh, we, we we went out to, to a little taqueria to to hang out with Daniel, and Daniel, you know, we started talking over enchiladas, and Daniel started saying, "Look, I don't I don't know if, I don't know if I believe in this Jesus guy," and he because. The way that he had understood Jesus is that Jesus was just this mythical figure, non-historical, just sort of a made-up guy, right? Just sort of a cobbled idea. Yeah, he was a real person, but this whole Jesus being God thing, that was all just kind of what this thing called religion put together, put on him afterwards. And Daniel was, had all these doubts and concerns, so John and I started talking to him over enchiladas. That's a good place to have these kinds of conversations. and. And we talked about his doubts. And, you know, we just talked about the evidence and about what actually happened. And the questions were meeting Daniel's, or the answers were meeting Daniel's questions, his doubts. And, and it, there was a moment where, you know, we had, well, I had finished my enchiladas. He was still working on his. And, and I asked him, I said, well, so what do you want to do? Do you want to continue not talking to the Jesus you don't believe in or do you want to start talking to the Jesus you do that is, that is actually real? Because I agreed with Daniel. I didn't believe in his Jesus either. Most of the people that I meet that don't believe in God, I don't believe in their version of God either. Who, who does? But when you finally see who God is, the, his very heart, his very nature compels you. It woos you. It draws you to trust him. And so Daniel smiled when I asked him this question. He's like, oh, you want to like, you want to pray like right now over enchiladas? I mean, there's all these people, you know, ordering and, and it's, this, it's the little taqueria right here on Farrell Street. Uh, and, and I said, yeah. And so John's like, let's do this. And so we prayed and, um, in this little taqueria and God's presence showed up. And Daniel opened his eyes and he said, a weight's just been lifted. Like, he gave his life to Jesus again, but a weight had been lifted and he experienced such peace. Has that ever happened to you? Where you pray, you worship, you read scripture, you speak with God and you experience his peace, his presence. Next day, April and I go to Home Depot. We're building a deck in our backyard. I'm building the deck. We're all building the deck in the backyard. I'm building the deck in the backyard. It's sort of like when we take out the trash, you know? Uh, Hey, we also cook dinner, right? Uh, so, So we're going to Home Depot and I know I gotta buy a bunch of pressure treated lumber. I know that each one of these lumber sticks costs eight bucks a piece. I know that I need to buy 33 of them. Do the math, that's over 300 bucks. So we're in the checkout line, and there's Rebecca. There's nobody in Home Depot. It's a Thursday night. April and I go to grocery stores and Home Depot and Costco for our date nights on Thursdays. <laughs> and so we're at Home Depot, and there's nobody else around. And this cashier lady named Rebecca is just standing at her cashier. And so we bring all the boards and all the hardware up, and she scans the boards. You know, we got 33 of them and the hardware. And she says, that'll be $43. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so I handed her my card, and she ran my card. $43, signed the thing, and the entire time, like the Holy Spirit is saying, you know that this is wrong, right? <laughs> and I tell them the Holy Spirit, I'm totally fine for Home Depot taking it in the shorts on this one. Like, <laughs> that, is, that is okay by me. I've given them enough money over the years. And then the Holy Spirit tells me, is your integrity worth less than $300? It's like, (laughs) crap, no. So I looked at Rebecca and I said, Rebecca, I don't, you haven't charged me enough money. And she looked at me and she's like, what, wait, what? I'm like, you only charged me for one board. There's 32 more to go. And then the next three minutes was just hilarious because every single time she tried to scan in 33 boards or find it on her computer, it wouldn't work. She tried for five different times and five different ways to scan in these boards and they wouldn't scan. And I, I looked at Rebecca and I'm, April and I are just laughing and I tell Rebecca, Rebecca, look, I'm, I'm a pastor. I think God is telling us that he doesn't want me to pay for these boards. (laughs) And I thought that was I thought that was funny, right? I thought it was But then Rebecca just locks eyes with me and immediately her eyes start tearing up. And she just said, You're a pastor? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, I just decided right before you walked up, that I was going to go back and start using drugs again. I'm totally sad. I had just given up. I, I can't be with my daughter. I don't know what to do. And I had just given up. Uh, and I had and I just heard this voice that said, God's not with you. He's done. He's left you. You might as well go back. And so I'd made that decision. And I looked at her and and I said, well, I think Jesus brought me to you and has arranged this whole fiasco to remind you that you're his precious daughter and that you're loved. And we prayed for her right then and there in Home Depot and she met Jesus. And I looked back and there was like eight people behind us. It was like, whatever, like, you know. So if you're waiting in line in Home Depot next time, like somebody's getting prayed for. Probably not, but... um, We ended up paying for all the boards, but that was, that was, I know, some of you were like, what happened with the boards? Yeah, it it cost me 300 bucks. But that, 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 that moment of prayer with Rebecca was worth far more than $300. So I just wonder, uh, amen. That was totally the Holy Spirit. I just, I just wonder, I how many of you have been have you've experienced these kind of encounters with God before? Right, you meet God. You meet God in the in a, with a stranger who helps you, who blesses you, who tells you something. You meet God when when you're praying, like Daniel at the taqueria, right? Especially over enchiladas, you know, like the Holy Spirit just comes. If you talk to each other right now, you could say that someone would say to you. Well, how many of you, when you've worshiped or when you've prayed, have experienced God's presence? Raise your hand, right? You talk to each other, like right now. Right? Some of you experience God's presence in really unique ways. I was talking with Debbie yesterday, and she was saying how she's teaching our kids right now, and she's saying how when she's asking God what to do, um, God will align every movie, every conversation, every song, every... I mean, it's really annoying, and they'll all say the same exact message. Can anybody relate? Yeah. Right? Okay, so we have these experiences when we meet God. If you talk with Bruce Hunter, who goes to our church, he'll... He, When he was a young man, he, he was in a horrific accident. Blew, his right knee was totally destroyed. And it's swelling up and it, everything's ripped, bones broken, the whole nine yards. He places his hand on his knee. This is just right. He was very young in his faith. He says, Jesus, please heal my knee. And right then and there, bones started snapping back into place he could hear and feel tendons started moving back into place kneecap being flipped from the underside of his leg to the top side of his leg and his knee was healed as good as new have a conversation with Ken Elliott he'll tell you about right before surgery waking up in the middle of the night to see an angel standing in his room and the angel saying to him I've been looking for you and holding him and saying you're safe now talking with my wife April sitting at UCLA on the day of Jonah's surgery and April's in the women's restroom of all place and that's when God the Father meets her and gives her a vision of Jesus standing over the the surgeon's hands and the Holy Spirit hovering over Jonah during his brain surgery just like in Genesis 1 when the hover, Holy Spirit hovers over the waters to create new life and how and how there's this image of of, of God hovering over Jonah Creating something new So that his seizures would end mm-hmm. Talk with Colleen Wolf This very morning Who was on the Facebook page Of UCSF And heard th- th- A woman that is going to Went through the same thing That Colleen's going through right now And she's She's 18 years healthy There's There's so many moments Where you and I We meet Jesus And we t- We have an experience That we take away And 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 here's the point. The, the, The point is this. Read with me. Faith, or trusting Jesus, begins with me learning about Jesus. But learning about Jesus is just the beginning. Trusting Jesus requires that I meet Jesus, who is alive and breathing and present right now through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The life of my faith is the invitation to meet with Jesus and then follow his directions, which always lead to my joy and hope. Does that make sense? Our denominational heritage is Presbyterian. Presbyterians are the only group of people who believe that if you talk about Jesus, you've done something. You know, what a great meeting. You know, we talked a lot about God. It's like, no. Yeah, learn about Jesus. That's just the start. Now, meet him. Talk to him. Listen to him. Engage. So, this is where we find ourselves in John chapter 4. The woman at the well has just met Jesus. She's just engaged with Jesus and it's changed her life. Read with me verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. Now, John uses the word testimony on purpose here. Um, Testimony is a legal word. You got to remember that right before this, Nicodemus, the megachurch pastor and the state senator, he meets with Jesus. And Nicodemus, after his meeting with Jesus, do, do you remember Nicodemus telling all his friends and testifying to all his friends about Jesus? No, he doesn't. Oh, how interesting. So, Nicodemus does not testify about Jesus. Now, in the ancient Near East, a woman's testimony wasn't even admissible in the court of law because it was considered not worthy or not enough. They couldn't be trusted. So, what is a woman's testimony who's had five husbands and is working on the sixth going to be worth? It's going to be worth nothing. But what does this Samaritan woman do? She testifies to her community Jesus has saved me. He knows everything about me. And what is the result? That meeting Jesus and trusting Jesus totally restores her heart. It restores somehow her reputation in the community. Everybody starts going, wait a minute. You had this experience with him? And their view of her completely changes. She's no longer the outsider. Now she's the trusted authority about who this Jesus guy is in the text, the Samaritan woman now has a greater standing and repudate, reputation than Nicodemus, the megachurch pastor and state senator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Verse 40. Read with me. So, when the Samaritans came to him, that's Jesus, when they came to Jesus, keep on reading, they urged him to stay. <inaudible> okay, Samaritans are to Jews as Mormons are to Christians. Right? You picking up what I'm putting down? Samaritans are to Jews what Mormons are to Christians. For the outsiders looking in, they would say, oh, they're kind of cousins. For the insiders, we would say, "Mm mm-mm. Close, but not even close. Right? Okay, so... Can you imagine if two Mormon guys, you know, in the white shirts and the black ties, they knock on your door on Saturday morning and they say to you, I'm totally confused, I have no idea what we're doing, obviously we're believing a lie, would you please spend the next two days with me, praying with me and helping me believe in Jesus? What would you say? Many of you would be like, go away, right? But some of you would be like, well, clearly something's going on here that is like a miracle. God must be doing something incredible in these people. And that's what's happening when Samaritans are saying to a Jewish rabbi, please stay with us and tell us about who God is. Let's keep on reading. 41. Oh, sorry. One more time. One back, John. John. Verse 41, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we finally heard ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Oh, my gosh. Now, pay attention to the process of how this community got to know Jesus. So first of all, faith or trusting Jesus starts with us hearing about and learning about Jesus, right? You picking up what I'm putting down? Oh, look, Jesus is doing something in this person's life. Huh, I'm learning about what Jesus is like. Second, they investigate. As Paul would say it, they're curious, right? They they, they start this conversation where they're learning about what Jesus is all about. Who he claims to be. And at some point in this journey of curiosity and investigation, they're saying to themselves, hmm, I have a decision to make. I have a decision to make. And that's, that's where you and I are at. Look, I, if you invited Jesus into your life in 1964 in Sunday school you're still in that process. If you invited Jesus into your life last week, you're still in that process. If you invited Jesus into your life, you don't even know when it's been so long ago. You're still in that process. If you haven't prayed yet and you're going, "Mm, I don't know about this Jesus guy, you're in the exact same process that everybody else is in. Because we say, well, Jesus, are you enough for me? Are you enough for my finances? Are you enough for my children's health, my grandchildren's health, the legal issues that I'm facing? Are you enough for my marriage? Are you enough for my health? Are you enough for the health of the people that I love that I can't help but I'm called to care for? Are you enough for my heart? Are you enough for my job and my job search? Are you enough for me dealing with this toxic person in my life that I can't seem to get away from? Are you enough? And so what do we do? We investigate. Find out, God, can you handle this issue? And then there becomes a point when you and I get to make a decision. And this is what that decision looks like. You have to decide, Jesus, are you who you say you are? Or are your claims of being Lord and God, Savior and friend, is that just the voice of a lunatic? And if you do put your weight on Jesus and say, I think I'm going to trust you with this area in my life, the prayer kind of looks like this. Lord Jesus, I want you more than I want to run my own life, more than I want to hold on to my control, more than I want everything to go my way. I want you because only you, only you, God, can bring me life. I need my heart healed. I need my sins forgiven. Help me trust you. Help me listen and follow you. I invite you into this place in my heart. Maybe it's for the first time, but maybe the place in your heart is this specific area of need that you're facing today. Do you want to pray that prayer? 23 of you said yes, there's 24. (laughs) This is not a prayer for those who are Praying for the very first time. This is a prayer that all of us pray every day. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus and to trust Him. We are curious, we investigate, and then we have to make a decision. Lord, can you handle this part of my life? Does that make sense? Okay, let's... Only if you want to. You can sit there, arms folded, grumbling. That's okay. Ready? Lord Jesus, I want you more than I want to run my own life. More than I want to hold on to my control. More than I want everything to go my own way. I want you because only you, only you, God, can bring me life. I need my heart healed. I need my sins forgiven. Help me trust you. Help me listen and follow you. I invite you into my heart to be my Savior and Lord. Notice how I forgot some words and some prepositions. You don't have to pray perfectly either. Now, if you've made that decision for the very first time today, I, I want to talk with you. I want to I equip you. If you've made that decision in your heart today and it's over a significant area in your life, I would love to be able to encourage you afterwards and to be able to talk about how you don't have to walk this journey of faith alone. We never do this faith alone. That's why we gather together. Amen? Amen. Okay. Uh, read with me verse 43. Here we go. After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. That's like going back to where you went to high school and saying, here's the truth. And all of your friends who were with you in high school goes, there's no way I'm listening to this guy, right? It's tough to go back home, right? Right? Okay, verse 45. When he arrived in Galilee, that's the region around the Sea of Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Wait, gasp. (gasps) They had all seen... Wait, sorry. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Dude, Jesus is in town. He, like, healed people. He, like... Did you see him? He, like, made a whip and was like, kapow! And all of the animals, like, there was thousands of sheep running. Did you see all of the people freaking out? Like, the money changers? Dude, I picked up a $1,000. That was so awesome. <laughs> right? I love Jesus. Oh, man, this guy's radical. This guy's awesome, dude. He listens to rock and roll. He's, like, trending on Twitter. Yeah, Jesus, right? Okay? So Jesus, he's hanging out, right? Verse 46, once more he visited Cana and Galilee. Oh, man, brilliant. The last time he was in Cana, he went to a wedding. You remember Cana? Cana? This tiny, 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 tiny town. Right? So he goes to the central coast, and he's not going to stay in Aurora Grande. Instead, he veers right, and he goes to Cayuma, right? Cuyama? What difference does it make, right? It's just... He just goes there. He goes east, right? And this is the place where he showed up and they had like, well, we ran out of wine, 180 gallons of water. And he turns 180 gallons of water into a $50 bottle of wine, that kind of quality, right? 3,875 milliliters in one gallon times 180, 603,000 milliliters divided by 750 milliliters per bottle of wine. You get over... You know, fifteen hundred and then you times that by fifty and you get forty-five thousand dollars. Wow. Jesus rolls into town and everybody in Cana's like, Yes, dude, it's the Jesus wine guy. Yeah. Here's my Nalgene water bottle. Just you want. Know hey man, you wanna come over to my house? I'm I got a lot of water, we're thinking about having a party, right? So once more he visited Canaan and Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now Capernaum is like 24 miles away. That's like Arroyo Grande, right? When this man in Arroyo Grande, the royal official, heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So here's a map, right? So here we have, next slide, John. So here we have the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is on the top there with the, the red dot. And there's where you would, this is how you would travel to Cana today. Cana's in the in, in left, Kafir Kana, right? Um, or Cana. And that's, it would take you 33 miles, uh, 33 minutes by car. That's last night uh, on Google Maps. But it's about 24 miles away. So this dad... He's in Capernaum. A friend of his is in Cana, shows up and goes, "Ah, Jesus is here. I know my friend, his son is sick. And he runs or rides 24 miles back to Capernaum and tells the official son. And the official then runs or rides frantically 24 miles to show up to Jesus. And when he shows up to Jesus, he's begging Jesus, please come heal my son. He's dying. So this dad, breathless anxious, afraid, shows up to Jesus, and he says, please come heal my son, and this is Jesus' response. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Why is it's just a dad concerned about his son? Why is why is Jesus rebuking him? Why does Jesus confront this father when his father the father is just he's trying to get his boy healed? Jesus knows him cuz he's fully man and fully god. And Jesus knows what this father needs. See, Jesus wants to do miracles in his life, but he also doesn't want to be relegated to a miracle maker. He wants to be this worried father's savior and Lord and redeemer and friend. This, Jesus wants this dad not just to have his son healed, I mean he wants that, that's going to happen in the story, he wants that but he also wants this dad's heart to be changed, to, to have new life and a new hope, not just the solution that he is insisting on. See, this dad, this royal official is used to having power. He's used to telling people what to do. And he's used to saying, uh, when he says to people, jump, they say, how high? And so he tells Jesus, come, heal my son right now. Look at me. I'm the royal official. Look at all I've done. Look at all the power that I have. Look at all the money I have. Look at all the status I have. Let's go, Jesus. Chop, chop. Come on. Here we go. And Jesus is like, Mm-mm. no, <laughs> one word from the royal official, and he could be, command troops to move and destroy a town, one word from the royal official, one stroke of his pen, and fortunes could be made or lost. So let me ask you a question, what is best for this royal official, this father, is it best for him To be able to command Jesus to do what he wants? Or is it best for him to learn that Jesus is Lord? It's a tough one. Let me ask you a question. Do you want God for God? Or do you want God because he can give you stuff? Remember John 1, 17? Read it with me. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, to trust Jesus when you meet him, it means that you have to accept the hard truths that he's going to tell you. You remember the gospel? That you're more broken than you'd want to admit? That's a hard truth. And he's going to tell you that. So trusting Jesus is staying present even when he tells you an answer that you don't like, even when he says no, even when he says not yet, any, even when he says, sweetheart, that answer is going to be answered in the kingdom of heaven, but now you're going to walk a road of pain. He's going to have hard words for you. He's going to confront you about the things that are killing you. He's going to say, please eat from the buffet of life, not the dumpster of death. He's going to tell you to stop some things in your life. Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to keep on engaging with Jesus even when he rebukes you and confronts you? And I, I love, well, let me make this point because it's a slide and I have to. <laughs> Jesus isn't your cosmic butler. Jesus is the Lord of the universe, God in the flesh, and he wants to shape your heart and your faith so that you'll trust him. Read with me. In the good times and in the bad times.